Hi, everybody. My name is Luke. I am an alcoholic. Hey, Kentucky 69th State Convention Annual. Nice to see you. How about it? Um, gracious good evening to you. And uh, it works. It really does, huh? Yeah. No pressure here, Brian, after that intro. But if mom could see me now. Quick prayer. Dear God, you got me into this and you better get me out of it. Amen. <laughs> I wish everybody could come up here and see how beautiful you are. What a treat. Yeah, shining sober mugs and, uh, hmm. Hey, listen, just for laughs and because we can. I told you who I am and what the heck I'm doing here. It's good. How about on the count of three, you all tell us who you are and why you're here and let's raise the roof of the Sloan Convention Center as we do it. Okay, we can do this. Count of three. Are ready for a mighty roar? Okay. One, two, three. Hi, everybody. We're sure glad you're here and you're not drinking. Woo! Yeah. We're out here on a dangerous Friday night date in Bowling Green. And if you don't think that's true, take a look at the person sitting next to you. <laughs> Maladjusted to life, in full flight from reality, and outright mental defectives. Yay, what about it, Joyce? <laughs> oh, so good, so good. Could shout for joy and can hardly begin to thank you all. Uh, Scott, my buddy over there, my first contact for the convention of nearly a year ago. Uh, thanks for that, Scott. Deeply appreciate the deal. And uh, Brian, my host, and the uh, Circle of Miracles group, everybody who made this happen. We got it good, don't we, in sobriety? This one day, absolutely, could sh just can hardly believe it, could go crazy with gratitude and wonder and a sense of how good, how good God is this one day at a time deal, members of Alcoholics Anonymous gathered together at the state convention. It works. Yay, team. So, uh, yeah, tremendous seeing you all, this convergence of souls and spirit. I hadn't seen Bob over here in 20 years since Akron, Ohio. Bob, thank you for your service and for everything. I just love the way the hand of God brings all this together. Absolutely tremendous. So good, so good. Yeah. So, um yeah, let's get cooking here tonight and uh, do this deal. Uh, I met Vivian, and of course I know Sherry, love you already, girl, and Raj from E-Town. I haven't met Marty. Where's Marty? Oh, hi, baby. Nice to see you uh, all the way from Texas. It's great. So glad you made it. Yeah, and uh, we'll be all ears and, and just so keen on your messages. Uh, it's great. It's great. Um, so... My sobriety date, by the grace of God, actions taken in this program, and a lot of doggone Irish luck, is November 11th, 1989. <laughs> My sponsor is sitting right over here in the green shirt. Richard, stand up and make him clap for you. This poor guy needs a lot of sympathy. I mean, he has, his life is rough and uh, funny. I've known Richard for about seven or eight years. He's been my sponsor for three years. Tell you what happened was Fabian was my sponsor for 27 years. 
We never had an off moment. The connection was solid gold, electric, holy, enlightened, absolutely beautiful. We clicked, we grew, we marched through Alcoholics Anonymous together, and then he got sick. Yeah. He gave me 27 tokens in a row, and then the big C, and uh, I said goodbye to him, and I said, we're sure going to miss you, and he said, oh, I'll be back, and I thought, boy, if anybody could, it's you. <laughs> And somebody said to me, what are you going to do? And I said, well, I don't know. So that night, before I fell asleep, I asked God who my new sponsor was going to be. He's pokey, you know, he's old, he's slow. And it it took about 15 seconds, actually, and I had Richard's name. And uh, the day Fabe died, I asked Richard to be my sponsor so we didn't go a single day in the work without that. I love the heads nodding. You know how crucial this is and how important it is to be in touch with a sponsor who is on it, who is active, who is engaged, uh, who is present, accounted for, and Richard is all of that and more. So I hope your sponsor is like that too because I just couldn't couldn't live without it. And we're here having a great weekend together and just doing the deal. Yeah, My home group is um, Culvertown Monday night, which is in the southern part of Nelson County between Bardstown and New Haven. So we like to speak about being on the in the burbs of New Haven. And uh, some of you have been there, yeah. Vanna and Marianne and Bobby, you know we're a rough crowd there in Culvertown on a Monday night. We do check you at the door for knives, guns, and explosives. <laughs> and if you haven't gotten any, we'll supply you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you don't believe that, do you? This past week, we had about 30 people. That's maybe a little bit below average, but uh, we went around the room with a gratitude session that just dusted this, the soul and uh, got the spirits going and, and revving up again. I get there early. I stay there till the last shot is fired. And as my buddy Joe over there is fond of saying, um, we've never seen an active, engaged member of their home group go out and drink again. Have you? We haven't, at least not in our part of the woods. So uh, it seems to me that that's a pretty crucial and important part of the deal as well. Uh, home group members are here. Kathy's here and uh, some others who are there regularly, Joe and Chuck. And so I better watch myself because they're going to be reporting on this, aren't you? <laughs> it's great. It's great. Um, I love being sober. The understatement of the evening. I could shout for joy every single day upon awakening and think, Yes, God's guy, sober guy on duty again, into action. This one day, 24 hours, up and at him. Let's go, dude, you're on. And I'm into it. In case you can't tell, high energy. No, that's true. And uh, so I have this opportunity, I have this invitation on a daily basis from the grace of God, supported by all of you, a field full of cheerleaders, to be a sober guy on duty, in action, and useful, an agent, helpful, uh, purposeful in a way that was simply impossible before. So what's the deal here? Um, I, it follows from that that I have to tell you I love being alcoholic. I would have, it's so strange and mysterious, though. Obviously, do not know what's good for me. I never would have signed up for this, would you? Oh, sure, sounds like the way to go, yeah. And yet here to report after a number of 24s would not have missed this for anything, would not trade 
a day of it would not trade a single one of you for anything that might, God forbid, be still waiting out there. No thanks. I'm with you, marching with you, overjoyed. Please just punch and just uh, better than a dream as we go along. So that's it. Uh, what do I know what's good? And uh, But the work of God has um, just fallen upon me and led me forward and uh, brought me here to the 69th annual state convention. And I just, it just gets gooder and gooder as in days sober. And I, I can hardly believe it's me. I really shouldn't be allowed to leave my room without adult supervision. But, <laughs> but <laughs> we can get a few things done, Brian. This is good. Yeah, I couldn't do this. <laughs> no, that's good. It looks. Oh, that's great. That's great. So uh, the story, the legend of the monk, uh, as some people call it. Um, I was born at a very early age in New York City. I know the answer to this already. Anybody else here from New York City? Mark, who else? Yes, nice to see you. Great, great. We're here. Witness protection, right? (laughs) I took one look around at this situation and said, the Bronx? No thanks. And uh, kind of set up my whole way of going in life ever since then. My four grandparents are off the boat from a place called Ireland. You may have heard of it. Now, that doesn't require you, it doesn't make, uh, you know, attendance and membership in Alcoholics Anonymous a requirement, but it certainly gave me a running head start. They say, uh, you know that strange bunch of people, the Irish, who never know what they want, but are always ready to fight for it. Oh, yes. (laughs) An Irishman is never drunk. No. As long as he can hold on to a single blade of grass and not fall off the face of the earth. And I had the pleasure of the privilege of being in my fatherland a number of years ago, carrying the message of Alcoholics Anonymous and just got to connect with the Irish people, attended a meeting in Dublin and some other places, gave a retreat in England. And what a gift, what a joy. It only happened in sobriety. Too good. My spiritual origins are just as vivid and clear. And I think this is something about being Hibernian, but again, it's not a requirement I don't know where this came from except sheer gift of God and and grace of the Spirit. I was born with something like a thirst, or as we Irish call it, the grah. A yearning, a longing for the infinite, for the face of God. This has been eating me up for as long as I've had consciousness, and I only take that as as his gift and his indwelling in me, page 53, deep down inside, so that I'm not at home. You're looking at a pilgrim person who has been journeying determinedly for as long as I've been doing anything. And um, so I've known for as long as I've known anything, that I am God's precious kid, redeemed by Christ the Savior and temple of the Spirit, and took tremendous comfort and joy in this identity. Great. But it wasn't too often, don't know what to call this, before I kind of forgot about all of this and got all jumbled up and subtly and unknowingly decided 
I was just going to have to take care of everything myself here, and I, Luke Armour, would be God for me, which is a scary proposition anyway. You shake it. This cannot succeed, but it's all I knew what to do. And so I I gave that a shot for a while, and you can just imagine how that turned out. By the time I have memories that are worth talking about, the family is living in an old Yankee town just across the George Washington Bridge in New Jersey. You know what Woody Allen said about New Jersey? God is everywhere except certain portions of New Jersey. (laughs) And so, poor Woody. So we moved to this beautiful old Yankee town, and we are nine doors away from St. Peter the Impossible Church and school. You might know I am a lifelong Catholic and grew up in that 1950s, what I like to say, Catholic corridor, cocooned in a Catholic culture, New York, New Jersey, and all of that. And uh, my family is well sprinkled with priests and nuns on both sides. Or if someone says, when your aunt is a nun, does that make God your uncle? I don't know. <laughs> but <laughs> Jesuits, Sisters of Mercy, it was it was great. And for as long as I can remember, I thought they were the finest people in the world and wanted to do what they do. And truth to tell, hey, thanks, brother, I can use that. Appreciate it. And here to report with a sense of wonder and amazement that I got to live my dream. I have been living in God's house for 50 years. Well, you can tell by looking at him, he's been doing something for a while. And and this really amazes me because there were so many opportunities where I could have self-detonated and blown it out of the water, I'm I'm sure, but I am here to report that I got to live my dream, and uh, that is surely the grace of God working overtime and in capital letters. So there there I am at St. Peter's School and uh, barely have an off button, always striving, uh, I wouldn't say super overachiever, but high achiever, class, class president, scholarship winner, and so on. It's because I just always tried. I have a um, very accomplished older brother and a beautiful darling little sister who is 10 years sober and Alcoholics Anonymous is just that, yeah. Her name is Mary, and she lives in suburban Maryland, and I'll tell her you clapped. (laughs) And then there was me in between these two. So there was a conundrum. What am I supposed to do between these two bright lights? And, of course, that's not the way they remember it, but I'm just here to report my side of the story. So that's to say that while on a certain level I am rocking and bopping, riding along, doing well and and getting along and, and so on, in another level I am feeling like I was dropped off on this planet by an alien spaceship. And are they going to be coming? It's true. (laughs) Reva, are they coming back for me? Or do I hitch a ride home? Or who knows what? So the conundrum was, why is this such a question for me and seemingly such a stroll through the park for all of you? And who knew? Because I got this beautiful, garrulous Irish family, beautiful, wonderful parents, father and mother, neither of whom were alcoholic. They could take a drink on a Saturday night or not. And uh, so just, just some of the rules of the road were that we never stopped talking, which is fine, but 
It's got to be about nothing. It can't be about anything. So I'm keeping any questions close to the vest and don't know what to do with that. And invariably, that's creating some tension and, and who knows what, even anxiety for me. And I didn't know what to do with this. But I just keep rocking and bopping and figure, well, it looks good on the surface and, and I know what I want to do. And even my sainted mother uh, was fond of saying, uh, all we could do with you was get out of the way. You were just so determined and so uh, forward motion that and, and that that is true. That was true. That was the impression I gave in any event. I was never around abusive drinking. Um, Dad and mom could take a drink on a Saturday night or not, but come to find out only much later, because of course we couldn't talk about it, that both sides of the family were well sprinkled with alcoholics as well. Surprise, surprise. Imagine that, a family tree with alcoholics in it. So, but big secret about Grandpa Armour and Uncle Mike and, and Cousin and so on and so on. Uh, it wouldn't have changed anything. I had to do everything that it took to get me here tonight to the 69th Annual Kentucky State Convention, Brian. But who knows? I never messed with anybody or anything. I was keeping myself for a life in the church, and I just figured that meant it had to be a clean slate. I, my little sister could tell you what a royal nuisance I could be. It's not like I was too good to be true or anything, but but keeping it clear, keeping it pure for my goals to be realized. I should tell you my goals were simple, realistic, and achievable. I was going to go on to be pope or saint or both. (laughs) I mean, why not, you know? So when I met the pope in 1987, I... Said, I took that opportunity to say to him, JP, baby, now that I have your full attention, you need to, you need to give me the short skinny on the job. (laughs) And the Pope said, ex-brother Luke, have a good career in plumbing and heating. (laughs) I really did meet the Pope, but I didn't say anything. (laughs) Graduated high school, well wait, um, Went back into Manhattan for my first year of high school. That Jesuits got me on East 84th Street in Manhattan, and it was rough. It was a lot of fear and a lot of competition. And uh, I was so glad when Dad said he had a chance to move, and we did some adventuresome things. And I finished high school not too far from here, a beautiful town called Knoxville, Tennessee, and have lifelong friends from there that we've just kept up. We just celebrated our 50th anniversary of high school, and I got to go to it. It was like it was as beautiful as being at an AA meeting meeting up with my these great, great friends and, and just like a foretaste of the day of glory when we'll all be gathered and, and parting no more. Joyce, you're ready, aren't you? <laughs> so here we go. Uh, I am ready to rocket into life and uh, I'm looking good. Uh, the um, slate is fine. I'm well prepared. Uh, and uh, so I go off to Providence College in 1968 uh, and uh, had not strayed or, or done anything, looked either way. The alcohol, it just didn't beckon to me. There were some, a little, you know, crowd in high school who drank and did things on a Friday night. I just thought, what? There's nothing, nothing to me. And so, so that was just a non-issue. Uh, so I'm off to college, that's it. 1968, they say, uh, if you can remember 1968, the year when by some uh, reckoning the whole culture started to unravel, you couldn't have been there. And uh, for once, my I'm right on schedule. Some of my development ran a little late, but I'm right on schedule now. Providence, Rhode Island, or as they say, Providence, 
and uh, I'm ready to rock. Um, I make a whole new host of friends. Uh, I do what I always do academically. I make the dean's list without even trying. And uh, here we go. I'm a student for the priesthood, beginning to realize my long-term goals, and absolutely delighted. Looks like we're ready to rocket and just blast off. Well, that's what happened, but not exactly in the way I had planned. In January of 1969, was sick as a dog with what people are telling me was probably the Hong Kong flu and, uh, gentlemen, do we go to the infirmary and turn ourselves in and ask for somebody? You're shaking. Of course not. And so I'm there in my dorm room, really, sick, crazy with a fever and, and just out of my mind. And someone, as an act of kindness, comes along, sees this agony, and hands me a tall, cool drink of alcohol. I am crazy with fever, don't know what I'm doing, but I toss that baby back. Oh, yes, that stuff went down. That warmth spread out. That tightness eased for the very first time. I was amazed before I was halfway through. <laughs> so that's what those losers in Knoxville were doing on a Friday night. There is a solution, <laughs> and it's not in this little blue book either. It was a hyper-euphoric, bogus spiritual experience that did rocket me right out of this world to a beautiful place full of blue stars and lights and everything. And I thought, well, if this is what happens, I'm in. I'm all in. And which, of course, is the trick that alcohol played on me because guess what? That never happened again. <laughs> but I'm aiming for the for the repeat, and so I'm off. Alpha alcoholic, it was absolutely uncanny, the change that came over me, like a 180 switch. Uh, how, when, and where to get it again was all I ever cared for. People are saying, what just happened to Bozo? What is going on with him? And of course, what do I know except I'm just crazy for that next drink. It was, it was the strangest instant transformation. And um, so I'm getting resistance, I'm getting opposition from my friends and, and a hard time. Well, what do I do? I'm, I start sneaking around. I go under the radar. Nobody's getting in the way of this new agenda. It was absolutely bizarre, folks. And uh, if you're alcoholic, I'm sure you got a pretty idea, pretty good idea of what that was all about. I never made the dean's list again at Providence College and didn't care <laughs> because that's the way they talk. Because I have a whole new set of values, it was absolutely weird. Um, rides in cop cars now, trips to hospital emergency rooms. And from time to time, the thought would fleetingly cross my mind, if this wasn't the late great you involved here, it sure as heck would look like problem drinking. But a person of my aspirations and abilities, hopes and dreams, it couldn't be. Now, to the extent that that ever so slightly resembles a case of denial, I cheerfully acknowledge that it's... An understatement, I'm sure, but uh, I just covered that all up and went ahead. Now, at the age of 20, I did receive a beautiful white robe outside of Boston, Massachusetts, and became Brother Luke with the Dominican Order. Uh, you might know them. They're around a lot of places. They're in Louisville and uh, Springfield, Kentucky, and, and lots of places all over America. I like the work. I like the tradition. I like the look, and I signed on with them. And, and the Dominicans were great to me, better than I deserved to be. And I thought... Well, um, here now I'm set for life and uh, I'm locked in. And, of course, that's precisely what didn't happen because I'm alcoholic and uh, they pick up on that. Uh, pretty close quarters and the Dominicans are a bunch of smart, smart guys. <laughs> Woo! 
So it wasn't uh, till the next summer, in any event, that they caught me in something like, very much like an intervention with the superior, who was a real joy. We called him Grim Jim. <laughs> oh, he was great. <laughs> and a number of the brothers uh, going around the room on such and such a night, you came home blitz, blasted, and bombed, and it actually was true. They had nailed me. But in case you happen to happen, happen to notice, you have here at the Kentucky State Convention a smooth, smart, fast-talking New Yorker and I said, well, I just drink to steady my nerves. And they said, yeah, but you're getting so steady you can hardly move. <laughs> it was as if Harry Houdini was my spiritual director during those years. A lot of great escapes. The point, of course, being that while people would routinely let me off the hook, that is a trick that alcohol never, ever did. Uh, so... Uh, should tell you, I was, had the privilege of being in Columbus, Ohio this past fall and got with one of the Dominican fathers who was in the room that day. He has no memory of this incident at all. I can picture the whole thing. I should also tell you that um, I wrote a friend of mine in Knoxville about this new romance because that, of course, is what it was. She completely misunderstood, missed the point altogether, got it all wrong, and sent me a membership card to Alcoholics Anonymous. How did she know this? But I kept it. Must have known it was going to come in handy. It's great. So, things were going downhill quick with the Dominicans. I'm 22 years old. I did move on with my class to Catholic University of America in Washington, D.C. We step outside our door on Michigan Avenue. There's the biggest Catholic church in the Western Hemisphere. That kind of gets your attention. And this world-class university, I had about as much interest in doing any of this jazz as walking to the moon because right over here, Catholic University of America, Rathskeller, you don't even have to get in the car anymore. And uh, hardly have to tell you where my attention drifted, and uh, it was a mess. What to do, what to do. I'm falling apart at 22 years old. This was not the plan. Cannot name the game. And uh, it was very distressing. I think sometimes of the great um, Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard. Let me get this straight. I wrote this down. Yeah. He says, to live is to feel oneself lost. And whoever accepts this has already begun to find himself. In other words, now I'm paraphrasing, when you can name the game, you are on firmer ground and you can begin to cling to something for relief from all the chaos in life. I don't know about you, but my story is that mild to moderate chaos always seems to be showing up. And uh, I don't know what to do with it. So the lostness uh, that Kierkegaard speaks about was was very real and very intense for me. What to do, what to do. Well, I didn't know about geographical cures, or someone in Louisville calls it geological cures. I like that. (laughs) But pulled off one that I'm extremely proud of. (laughs) Here it is. The writings of Thomas Merton, monk at the Abbey of Gethsemane, the oldest abbey in America, right up there in Nelson County, just south of Bardstown, in the burbs of New Haven, draw me, drew me here to the heart of the bluegrass in 1972. And the first time that I saw those 90 monks file into church and sing the praises of God like they've been doing 
since December 21st, 1848, I was enthralled. I thought, yes, this is it. This is where I need to be. This is where my life is. And to the extent that this ever so slightly resembles a flight from alcohol, I cheerfully acknowledge that. But I am here to report, by some grace of God, and again, a lot of dumb Irish luck and so on, I have been a Trappist monk for the past 47 years. Woo! <laughs> I want to talk about great escapes. But I told you my sobriety date, and it ain't April 1st, 1973, so there's just a little more to this story that <laughs> makes it kind of interesting, I hope. A monk, you might know, is a man called by God to live the new life of the Spirit in a radical, single-hearted, and uncompromising manner. Prayer, work, and study in a beautiful schedule format, certain discipline, certain austerity, and so on, but not not too hard for your average Joe to do on a one-day-at-a-time deal. I hopped right into that with all the considerable energy that I can muster and didn't do badly for a while. It's great. I just loved it. I love being a monk. I love everything about it. And uh, we rise at 3.15. We sing praises. We we do industries. And, and I've I've served in in a lot of capacities, in the cow barn, in the guest house, in the infirmary, and in the cheese industry. And uh, right now I've been the music master for the past 16 years because I did bring, I did bring certain meager talents to, uh, to that mix of, of keyboards and vocals. And so, so I have been the choir master for 16 years. Sober song makes a bit of difference, however. So that's, yeah, really. Whew. It wasn't too many years, though, where I, who knows about untreated alcoholism, I start getting really hot under the hood about some of the behaviors of, of these others because they're clearly not doing it right. And, you know, yours here truly is here with my mighty frame and so on. And <laughs> to set them straight. And so I start marching around, terrorizing everybody. You can imagine how fearsome I am and, and doing this deal. And uh, it, was a, it was a colossal disaster. I've just made a, a huge mess of it, but pretty easy to identify untreated alcoholism and the buildup to drink. So here's what happened. 1981 rolls along, and Father Timothy, who was the abbot at that time and who's going to pop up again in this story, asked me to take care of sick brothers, and I cheerfully thought, hey, I'm finally getting someplace around here. Now, to this point, there were years that I never set foot off the property, years that I never even made a phone call. And uh, now, of course, sick brothers have to be taken to doctors, and uh, somebody has to go along who uh, knows what's going on with them. I hardly have to tell you that I use those trips to procure booze. So when people ask sometimes, gee, how could a monk be a drunk? Let me tell you, it was easy. <laughs> Drew, is that you down there? I can't believe it. <laughs> Hi, buddy. <laughs> Cincinnati, for the night, for the day. Thank you. Boy, what a guy. And if you ever heard the expression, as sober as a monk on Sunday, you never would have known it from me. <laughs> Let me just summarize those years, 81 to 89, in a few short words, terror, bewilderment, frustration, despair, chaos, loneliness, and all of that fun leading to alcohol abuse. Oh, no, really. Periodic, but real. There were consequences, negative consequences, some great escapes. It could have been worse. 
I was spared by second in, and inches to be your to be your speaker here tonight, and uh, that is the God's honest truth. All of that leading to further chaos, bewilderment, loneliness, and so on, and frustration, bewilderment, despair, and a never-ending downward spiral. What happened on November 11th, 1989, was extremely interesting. (laughs) Somebody had come down from Louisville the night before, and of course, if you're coming to visit me, you know you better be bringing some stuff. And so sure enough... um, these guys did that, and they left with they left me with some stuff. And I was the guest master, and we uh, ate in this dining room, and I piled what was left over into into the refrigerator there in this locked room, dining room. And then they went home. And the next morning was the 11th, and um, I went in there about 11 o'clock and finished off what they had left. Now, who knew about the phenomenon of craving? Not I. But it kicked in, of course, and I've got to have more. So I sneak out at 1 p.m., and I go down to Culvertown, where my home group is now. So I bought my last brewskis for the for now uh, right next to where my home group is <laughs> now. So I come back to the house, and I stash it into this locked room in the refrigerator, and it's about 1.30. I did have two coming down. For once, honest to God, I just had two beers. <laughs> and uh, I stash it, and I... Close the locked room, and I go to my room. I go to praises at 2.15. I come back to the locked room at 2.30, and I go in there, and I'm ready for a mellow afternoon, yes? Well, I go over to the refrigerator. Do you love this drama? I do. (laughs) And I pull open the refrigerator, (laughs) and I saw the light (laughs) at the back of the refrigerator because that baby was empty. (laughs) Anybody ever lose their secret stash? Oh, come on, more than one of you. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, yeah. In the famous words of Chester A. Riley, what a revolting development this is. <laughs> but as God is my witness, I stood there and thought, number one, the game is over. And very happy to report that that is the story until tonight, best as I know. And uh, so I turned myself in. Father Timothy, the abbot who I mentioned uh, earlier, had saved my life that day by grabbing the supplies. He saw me coming in with this deal, and uh, he ain't Irish for nothing either. (laughs) So he was great. He still is great. He he resides in Rome now, but should be home soon. And I, I just can't ever stop thanking him for what he did that day and many times as well besides. Uh a great pastor. He didn't beat me up for being alcoholic or shame me or anything. He said, what do you want to do? And I told him, um, I met some guys in Alcoholics Anonymous when I was guest master and so on. Clearly some seeds were sown. Let me go down and visit with Father Brendan in Franklin, Tennessee. He said, great, go early, stay late, don't hurry home. And uh, Brendan is still sober. He, In fact, he's a monk out in Arkansas now. And... Uh, So I experienced for the first time what? The power of one alcoholic talking to another. And I came home greatly resigned to whatever was going to happen. And Timothy, he just couldn't have been better. I said to him, I feel like I've been a lot of trouble for you. And he said, you have not. But would you mind getting your life in order? (laughs) And I use that line on people today, too. I was talking to a priest last week who's struggling. And uh, it's funny how that comes in handy too as well. Uh, so I, I said, do what, what, 
you decide and, uh, and I'll do what you say. So short story shorter there is he, uh, we, I go off to a place in, back in Washington DC called St. Luke's Institute. Well, the name seemed fortuitous. What I want to hear to tell you was like a middle-aged frat house, all these fathers and brothers sitting around, and the uh, minimum stay is four months, the average stay is six months, and they're all saying to me, oh, you'll be back, and I says, oh, I don't know, and now we all said that, and well, guess what, uh, I go through the eval one week and sitting around with with the mental health professionals and all, and what do I know is going to happen? And they all give their little piece. And then the psychiatrist says to me, get out of here. Get back to Kentucky. Do 90 meetings in 90 days in Alcoholics Anonymous. And if you drink again, you're going to be back here. So I like to tell people I've stayed sober for spite. That works, Brian. Because <laughs> they haven't seen me yet. <laughs> really, really. This is so lame and so embarrassing. However, let me report to you. I come to you as a newcomer, and I'm going to do 90 and 90 because that was the deal, and I'm going to, but I have a plan. And if you're new, and you have a plan, we know it's a beauty. <laughs> Tell us your plan. <laughs> yeah. My plan was 90 and 90. Thanks for the memories. <laughs> Sayonara. I'll keep you in my prayers. I'm, I'm you know, Travis Monk at the Abbey. I live in you know, Abbey. <laughs> Which, of course, is precisely what did not happen. It was a plot. It was a maneuver. It was a machination. Here's what happened. You people got me caught, got me hooked. 90 and 90. Uh Uh-uh. What do I find? You are the people I've been looking for my whole life long. This is not casting shade at church. Church doesn't treat the disease of alcoholism. <laughs> and in here I found what I needed, what I always needed. And uh, it was great. I hear you talking. I meet great people like Marietta and Rose and Joe and great people I've been marching with all these years, decades and decades. Bobby and Mary, we've been friends since God created light. So good to see you folks. <laughs> Just love you both. And wouldn't think of marching without you today. It was just um, a miracle of grace that I found you, that I found the place where I'm not lost anymore, where I have a seat, where I belong, where um, my story fits and I fit. Uh, prior to that, I was always wondering why life was so awkward and I was always an observer rather than a participant. I get here and it's uh, it's a perfect fit. As the Italians say, uh, the cheese fell right on the macaroni. I like that. <laughs> so I hop right in here with you and uh, I was telling Richard on the way down, when I, when I meet a newcomer now, it's very important for me to respect exactly where he or she may be. Uh, if they just want to say they're good and they walk away from me, that has to be good enough for me. And it's exactly the way you treated me. 
Nobody rushed me. Nobody bullied me. Nobody gave me a hard time or, or got in my face or anything. Fabian, my sponsor, the perfect Kentucky gentleman and so on. Uh, so that, I think, is a very important uh, M.O. for me to return to the newcomer. Just respect, glad to see you, and uh, however the spirit unfolds for you, because you just did the perfect job for me, gave me the space, gave me the time, gave me the love and the encouragement to try to understand, to try to calm down, to try to cool the jets and 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 get into the work gradually and so on. Uh, so I did, and... Um, have been with you ever since. Uh, I, 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 there haven't been any times of disconnect or times off for bad behavior or just indifference. Uh, I'm a meeting maker. Um, I've, I've, I sponsor guys. Uh, I don't let a day go by without the conversations and the connections growing, growing, growing. It's the um, who's it says that uh, what we hear in Alcoholics Anonymous has a short shelf life, maybe even just 24 hours. I'd say 72 would be super generous for me. I, my forgetter is profound, and of course, the consequences would be dire and just awful. I don't know about you, but it seems to me that anything I did yesterday in sobriety, it was fine, it was terrific and all, but it doesn't count. It ain't working. It's like yesterday's breakfast. It's over. It's, it's gone. It's history. What counts is right now, as we say in Kentucky. <laughs> You get that. Don't talk like you're from Kentucky. <laughs> so that I wake up every morning and make this funny gesture with the big empty, the big E. Yeah. And it's even as if the spirit had a way of wandering off during the night. And so I wake up with the big empty and have to deal with it. So I do. I have clear-cut directions in 164 pages to tell me what to do. For example, upon awakening, page 86, I ask God, we ask God, to direct our thinking. And I don't know about you, but that can be a real bear for me. Something like sixty to 80,000 thoughts a day, and a few of which you would not want up on the bulletin board at work. <laughs> Just a few. So funny... Uh, Upon awakening, right away, relieve, uh, direct my thinking that it be divorced from self-pity, dishonest, self-seeking motives. I review steps one, two, and three. And that's to say the admission of powerlessness, unmanageability, asking for a reconnect, a re-up, a recharge, a renewal of faith and love for this one day sober, turning my will and my life over to the care of God with that third step prayer. I also slide in the seventh step prayer, take from me, Father, whatever stands in the way of my usefulness, and I'm ready. It just seems to me, and, you know, I just got started this morning, folks. I'm even with you for a number of 24s, I'm here with the mind and soul and spirit of a beginner. It's very important for me to keep this fresh and fun and amazing and stupid and teachable and, and wonderful and exciting so that I can hear the message afresh and be grateful to the bottom of my socks for what God has done. It's like this big fat elephant in the middle of the room. I can get accustomed to the idea of this miracle, of daily reprieve from active alcoholism, and I can sort of waltz around it and get things done and all, but, but the fact of the matter is that I have a day is a, 
is a miracle, is a grace that God bestows on me in generous faithfulness and with a condition that I serve, that I get out of self, be useful, be his guy in sobriety, be part of life in a way that was impossible before. Otherwise, okay, great, we're not drinking, but so what? What was the point? What was the deal? Uh, The usefulness, the being the agent is the thing. And so so that's what I pray for and and why uh, 12 steps, 12 traditions keep me reasonably between the ditches and a feel full of cheerleaders, sponsor, sponsees, all of you, home group members coming down to the convention. I know people all over America. Uh, Marietta and I, a couple of years, some years ago, we had the privilege of walking with the master in Israel and uh, took the opportunity to um, look up some numbers before I went. We have friends everywhere. So I attended two ANA meetings in the heart of Jerusalem. Yeah. And I, in fact, I chaired both of them because they asked me to. And then I remember walking down Ben Yehuda Street in the heart of Jerusalem with this group of AA guys. And of course, they were all Hasidic Jews with the coats and hats and beautiful and me. And I thought, this is as wonderful as visiting the, the holy sites and all that I got to walk down this street. And, and as a member of Alcoholics Anonymous made this connection, it was one of the best things that happened. And uh, it was great, wasn't it, Marietta? Yeah, we got to do that. So have the, all these connections everywhere that I need to uh, make use of. I don't say take advantage of, but the mutual enrichment of our spirit of fellowship and so on. So finding the power, finding the power, that's the deal. Page 45, isn't it, where uh, our dilemma is a lack of power. We have to find a power greater than ourselves. And later on, I think it's page 56, uh, it kind of reframes the picture and says to stand with the power is to be in the presence of infinite love. So to find the power deep within is to have a power of tremendous love that is meant to be in service. And for the time I'm given, I'll be 70 years old on Easter. And this not drinking part helps. <laughs> and so there's an urgency that drives me in a, in a creative and, and life-giving way that, I, as the book says, uh, I'm not to squander any of the days that might have been worthwhile without futility or unhappiness or anything that's unworthy of this one day's sobriety. I need to be a sober guy on duty. And uh, living from the power is the juice, is the, uh, is the energy, is the solid gold, is the fire crackling in sobriety that I believe God wants me to appreciate and utilize. And when I stand before him, it's going to be with empty hands. I know that. I know that. Uh, in the, it's the evening of life, and it's, it's very mysterious to me, rattling around the great realization that I have nothing except the grace of God. I have to empty myself, but I'm for the service, for the life, for the power, for the love. But that doesn't mean that I accrue anything or I move to higher spiritual ground or I become... Master or anything, God forbid, uh, the mind of the beginner is what suits me. And so then, when I come before the face of God, I receive his grace and mercy in all the fullness that he's showing us right now. 
I'm doing all of this. I'm making this happen for you. You never should have gotten this far. If uh, left to your own devices, it would have been splat a long time ago. You might know the uh, great Southern author William Faulkner. Actually, he's from Mississippi. You might have read some of his stuff in high school or who knows. Great author. And in one of his books, The Sound and the Fury, are you ready? He says, God is a Kentucky gentleman. He does not come where he is uninvited. He does not stay where he is unwelcome. And I like to add, and since Faulkner didn't think of it, uh, (laughs) that he's dying for the invitation. He's a sucker for the invitation. God, come and help me. I've got to go to Bowling Green and act like I, you know. And so I have nothing. And I ask him to take the grace and to take the action and let me be the, the instrument and, and somehow we muddle through. And, and so that's what I do, thanks to his grace, clear-cut directions on 164 pages. I read this book every day, not to become a master or anything, but mainly for sheer desperation because my forgetfulness is so profound and the consequences would be so dire. So clear-cut instructions, and I need the re-up all the time. Twelve steps, spiritual toolkit, right at hand. And why shouldn't this work out for me? Uh, when I pray, when I praise, when I thank God, simple little message, almost like a mantra, comes back from him, and that is, finish the assignment. Just finish the assignment. You've got it all here. You have nothing to prove, nobody to set straight, nothing to do except what you're doing. So that's the plan, and... Um, I'm here to say I couldn't do this without you. I ain't doing it without you. You are stuck with me. (laughs) Deal with it. (laughs) And uh, I thank you from the bottom of my heart and soul for letting me be part of the convention, for letting me be part of your lives, for trudging the road of happy destiny with you on a day at a time basis. Let's finish the assignment, do what we're doing, because we can't be disappointed with all of this. I love each and every one of you, and I thank you for my life. Good night.